0: A Victorian mansion in a remote Canadian township, once home to a wealthy lumber magnate and his family of 11. This massive mounts, now subdivided into a number of apartment units, is widely considered Ontario's most haunted house. It reportedly harbors a record-breaking 18 ghosts in just one flat, number 302, which you can rent for as little as 95 Canadian dollars, roughly £57 or 69 American dollars per night. Sound like the holiday home for you? Well, if you're in the rental market for a haunted house, you've come to the right place. I'm Caitlin Blackwell Baines. Welcome to Haunted Homes. 83 Fox Street, Penetanguishene, Ontario, Canada. This 140-year-old heritage property represents an important piece of Penetanguishene history. The Beck family, the namesake for the home, were partially responsible for transforming Penetanguishene, a small military outpost in the wilds of central Ontario, into a thriving mid-sized town made wealthy on the back of the Beck's successful lumber manufacturing company. The family's patriarch, Karl Beck, an immigrant industrialist from Germany who settled in the area in 1865, needed a home for his wife and ten children, a splashy show home that was befitting of his status as the town's richest and most influential resident. The result was Beck House, an imposing red-brick mansion built in the trendy Queen Anne style, an eclectic architectural hybrid loosely inspired by Baroque and Renaissance buildings, characterized by asymmetrical facades, and often incorporating towers, turrets, and wraparound porches. A property like this might have once stood out in the modest settlement traditionally occupied by military personnel and itinerant fur traders, but by the turn of the 19th century, it was but one of many fashionable new homes in the increasingly prosperous industrial centre. All the houses built for the Back family, those constructed for Carl himself and for two of his three daughters, have signature tower-like structures on one corner they also share something else in common. At least three of the family's properties, Beck House, the Beck's company store on Burke Street, and a home on Church Street are all said to be haunted. It seems that the members of the prodigious Beck family have a habit of sticking around, perhaps because they have a lot of unfinished business to attend to. Business not related to their lumber trade, but rather to some messy domestic drama. Carl's eldest daughter, Mary, probably had the most reason to linger, with the biggest unsettled score in the household. After years of caring for her younger siblings in the wake of their mother's premature death, Mary might have expected to be well looked after in her father's will. But instead, when Carl died in 1915, she was left with just one dollar. No wonder she looks angry to passers-by who glimpse her ghost glowering down from one of Beck's house's top floor windows. Mary is allegedly one of 18 spirits, including old Carl himself, who hold court in the upper story apartments. Quite a crowd. One wonders why they mostly stick to the confines of flat number 302 when they once had the run of the whole house. Well, we'll come back to cover the details of the slightly cramped accommodation situation later. First, a little bit about the local area. Located on the far southeasterly tip of Georgian Bay in south-central Ontario, Penetanguishene, or Penetang for short, is one of the oldest settlements in Canada west of Quebec City, with the earliest European settlers arriving in 1615. The indigenous Canadians, of course, occupied the area for far longer. Penetanguishene is an Algonquin word coined by the Abenaki tribe, meaning Place of the White Rolling Sands. Though the Abenaki's traditional territory was further north, Penetanguishene Bay, with its shallow waters and high-rising hills, was the ideal spot for them to hunt and fish. Indeed, it continues to be a popular destination for outdoor sports and leisure today. Tourism makes up a large portion of the town's modern economy, with beachcombers flocking in the summer and snowmobilers and ice fishers shoring up in the winter. Its annual Winterama Festival, established in 1948, is Ontario's longest-running winter carnival. The first European to set foot on the glimmering white sands of Panetanguachine Bay was Etienne Brule, an 18-year-old courier de bois, or Runner of the Woods, a French-born fur trapper. In 1615, after the mapping of Lakes Ontario, Erie, and Huron, the governor of New France sent the young and deliciously named Brule to the Huronia region to learn the ways of the Huron Nations and establish fur trading contacts. Canoeing into Penetanguishene Bay in August of that year, Brulé arrived safely and successfully befriended the Hurons, living peacefully among them until he was brutally murdered by his hosts 18 years later, after he allegedly betrayed them by trading with their sworn enemies, the Seneca. Legend has it, he was hacked to pieces and eaten by the tribesmen, though there's no evidence the Hurons ever actually practiced cannibalism. A century and a half later, in 1793, John Graves Simcoe, the Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada visited the region and identified the site of Penetanguishene as the ideal location for a naval base, a place to shelter warships used in the defense of Upper Canada from American military aggression and territorial expansion. The Penetanguishene Naval Yard was built in 1813, and in the following year, Penetanguishene Road was constructed to provide land access for the British military, who could previously only access the site by water. Though the naval base was closed in 1834, a military outpost remained, and in the meantime, British fur trappers had moved in to settle the land and take advantage of the abundant supply of wild game and fish. In the 1840s, French-speaking families from modern-day eastern Quebec arrived, attracted by the incentive of cheap and fertile land. And later, as the logging industry developed, still more French and English immigrants landed, turning the settlement into the bilingual mini-metropolis it remains today. And so it was in 1865 when Carl Beck arrived in Penetanguishene, a budding business centre full of promise for the 28-year-old German-born entrepreneur. Beck began modestly by delivering wood in a cart around town. However, by 1873, he had accumulated enough capital to open a sawmill with his partner, Charles Grope, whom he bought out just two years later to establish C. Beck Lumbering Company, a factory producing woodenware and wood packaging. Over time, Beck built a large lumber manufacturing business through aggressive marketing, shrewd diversification, and technological investment. A wide array of Georgian Bay Area lumber camps, specialty shingle lathe and lumber mills, two general stores, and three box pail and woodenware factories in Penetanguishene and Toronto generated Beck's immense wealth, giving him the money he would need to build his extravagant Georgian Bay seat, Beck House. In the late 1860s, Carl married Amelia Doms, A fellow german immigrant and together they had 10 children eight of whom survived childhood mary their eldest born in 1869 had the unfortunate task of taking over amelia's maternal duties when in 1893 the beck matriarch died of influenza at the age of 43. but despite this tragic setback the becks continued to prosper carl was mayor of the town between 1892 and 1895 and his wealth continued to accumulate so much so that he could afford to buy the town's first automobile, a 1903 Oldsmobile. This historic vehicle is currently on display in Penetanguishene's Centennial Museum, the local gallery and archive established in the 1960s in the Beck's Old General Store, a sundry shop originally created for company employees to spend their Beck bucks, tokens that could be exchanged for food and supplies. For the most part, Carl's adult children married well, with two of his daughters, Lovina and Amelia, hitching themselves to the sons of other local and regional businessmen, and in return for their good work in furthering the family's fortune and good standing, the women and their new husbands were rewarded with homes of their own, as mentioned, all built in the fashionable Queen Anne style. The singular exception was Mary, who instead struck up a romance with a lowly hotel manager, one George Robinson, the supervisor of the Penitenguishine summer hotel. Admittedly, this was a swanky resort, offering manicured bowling greens and tennis lawns, and an orchestra that daily serenaded the lunch and dinner guests. The owners boasted that the resort hosted the annual patronage of the best class of people. And this might have been good enough for Carl if Mary had fallen for the hotel's owner rather than a mere employee. Carl was adamantly opposed to the match, and likely for this reason, he donated the land directly adjacent to the hotel to his daughter Lovina's husband, J.B. Jennings, a successful industrialist. Here, Jennings built a stinking, smoke-belching stone foundry, which almost certainly put a damper on the hotel's once-flourishing business. But Carl's cruel machinations did nothing to stop the 1902 marriage of Mary and George Robinson, who soon after moved into nearby 21 Peel Street, a neoclassical home built in 1882, also made of red brick, but much more austere than the Beck family residence. Though there is no record, one can imagine that relations between father, daughter, and spited son-in-law were strained for the remaining years of Carl's life. On the 11th of May, 1915, Carl Beck died suddenly and unexpectedly. On that day, for whatever reason, he was travelling in his horse and carriage rather than his flashy new Oldsmobile. This horse somehow tumbled into the frigid waters of Penetanguishing Bay, taking the carriage and Carl with it. Carl's immense wealth, rumored to be in the range of $12 million, was then dispersed amongst his eight surviving children, with the eldest Mary receiving the token kick-in-the-face sum of just $1. Even with inflation, that amounts to the modern-day equivalent of only $35. So, there was some seriously bad blood in the Beck family, and it's perhaps for this reason that so much residual energy remains at their former home on Fox Street. More than a century later, the house has long since been divided into apartments, two of which are reserved as holiday lets, number 301 and 302, the latter of which seems to be the most spiritually active. And in a brilliant stroke of modern marketing, the proprietors have fully embraced their spooky reputation. Whether you're a history buff or perhaps just ready to sleep in a haunted house, you've come to the right place, reads Airbnb superhost Brenda's listing. She and her husband Fred live on site and are more than happy to regale their guests with tales of the historic and haunting. They even provide a prayer candle for those who wish to keep the spirits at bay overnight. Brenda claims there are 18 ghosts occupying the upper floor apartments, a figure supplied to her by her mediumistic daughter who was allegedly accosted by a mob of phantoms the first day she entered the home. These ghosts include, but are not limited to, The ghost of Mary, who's been seen skulking in hallways and glowering down from upper floor windows. Then there's a soft, nurturing spirit who's been known to tuck guests into bed at night. This too may be Mary when she's in a more maternal mood. There are ghosts who poke and push, ghosts who pull hair, ghosts who lock doors and flicker the lights, and of course, like any good haunted house, there are wee ghost children who can be heard laughing and playing, perhaps the spirits of Carl and Amelia's children who predeceased them. Then, of course, there's the master of the house himself, Carl, who most often makes his presence known in the form of the faint-scent of cigar smoke. Brenda's online reviews are littered with references to all sorts of strange and potentially supernatural experiences. Sandy, one recent guest who stayed in Apartment 302 in January 2023, writes, I stayed overnight with two friends hoping to experience some paranormal activity. We were not disappointed periodically we would get a strong smell of cigar smoke which would linger for a few seconds and then disappear. We had a strong sense throughout the evening that we were not alone in the apartment. We opened the shower curtain when we arrived as it was giving off a pure psycho vibe, only to find it closed again later in the evening. At one point we had gone downstairs and when we were going back up the large stairway, all of a sudden we heard loud footsteps on the stairs coming up behind us quickly and there was no one there. Yes, that freaked us out. Sandy admits. But all in all, she says, it was a fascinating adventure. We have no doubt the place is haunted. Had a great time, and would like to thank Brenda for the opportunity to experience the back house. Bizarrely, the back house seems to particularly attract Gen Z social media influencers who pepper their viral TikTok and YouTube seances with an odd Kardashian-esque parlance. Oh my gosh, you guys, this place totally gives me the creeps, the incongruously cheerful ghost hunters squeal with delight. And yet, they still seem able to summon the spirits, particularly of old Carl, who perhaps in life was a bit of a ladies' man. Certainly, he appears to prefer the company of women over men, and often refuses to interact with male guests. Does he remain the same protective, overbearing father he was in life? Maybe. He also doesn't suffer fools or have any time for persistent badgering. It is said that he won't respond to the endless questions that are posed to him during seances. He will, however, respond enthusiastically to compliments. You have a lovely home, Carl, one YouTube ghost hunter commented. And in return, he rewarded them with a clearly audible knock on the bathroom wall. So, why do Carl and his ghostly housemates congregate in the upper floor apartments? Well, maybe they're just pleased to be getting so many visitors in those spaces. The Becks were known to enjoy playing host at their lavish home. One particularly memorable occasion was in 1892, when Carl and Amelia threw a sumptuous soiree for their 25th wedding anniversary, to which they invited half the town, including the cream of Penitanguishine society. Anyone who was anyone was invited. Today, the ghostly Becks have to make do with humble holidaymakers hunkering in the upstairs bedrooms where once their genteel guests would have been welcomed into their finely appointed formal reception rooms on the main floor. Judging by the Airbnb reviews, however, they still managed to show their guests a good time. Now, there is some evidence that still more spirits lurk elsewhere in the house. In a YouTube video posted in October of 2022, currently with more than 300,000 views, we watch Selena Myers, a.k.a. Selena Spooky Boo, along with her friends Paige Potter and Tara Suzanne, co-hosts of Paranormal XP, performing a seance in the Beck house using a technique known as the Estes method. Named for Estes Park, Colorado, where the method was first employed, the Estes method involves something called a spirit box, basically a device that sweeps AM-FM radio frequencies. Against a background of white noise, words and snippets of sentences can be heard which proponents believe are controlled by or spoken by spirits. To avoid confirmation bias and group influence, the Estes Methods use certain controls. The seance leader listens to the spirit box through noise-canceling headphones and is blindfolded so they cannot hear nor lip-read the questions the other participants are asking. Unaware of what's being said in the room, the leader repeats aloud the words and phrases he or she hears through the spirit box. Now, when the method is successful, the words repeated back will directly relate to the questions being asked. However, when it's less successful, the result is a bunch of disjointed non-sequiturs. For Selena spooky boo and the paranormal XP girls, the results are pretty compelling. Seated on a bed in the darkened red bedroom, so named for its crimson satin bed cover, Selena clutches a creepy old Victorian doll to her chest as she strains to hear the spectral snippets coming from the spirit box. "'Can't leave,' she repeats. "'Why can't we leave?' Paige asks, then realizing her mistake. "'Or do you mean you can't leave?' The question remains unanswered, but the spirit appears sentient enough to know who he or she is talking to. "'Page!' blurts out through selena remember me the ghost huntresses are unnerved realizing that whomever they are speaking to knows their names and remembers them from previous visits selena reports that she's now hearing laughter but like not a good laugh Paige and tara share nervous glances are you thinking what i'm thinking asks Paige. tara nods the guy in the basement a spirit with whom they had previously made contact not a very nice one by the sounds of it Followed, comes the next word. Then, I fell. This is accompanied by an audible thump emanating from elsewhere in the apartment. I'll follow, it says. Paige and Tara quickly put the chibosh on this suggestion. You cannot follow us. This is your home. You must stay here. The spirit persists, laying claim to Paige. She's mine. I want. Tell us your name, Paige demands. Ignoring her, the spirit states, I keep all. What do you keep? The family. The girls continue to try to pin down the identity of the possessive spirit. Same questions, the spirit responds, clearly agitated. Who are you, they implore. Basement, comes the cryptic answer. Tell us your name, Tara tries once more. Only this time she gets a quick and definitive response. John. But do you think that's his actual name, Paige asks, skeptical? John, Selina repeats louder. Are you a member of the Beck family? Tara asks. No, says firmly. Why are you here then? Keeper. Paige and Tara then confront the spirit head on, telling John that he doesn't belong there and that the Beck family don't want him around. Shut up, John via Selena spits back. They urge him to leave and thus begin a brief debate over who isn't welcome at the house, the ghost or the ghost hunters. Suddenly, Selena sharply turns to face Tara. Though she's blindfolded, it seems that her eyes are fixed squarely on the other woman. Her face is still and stern. For a fleeting moment, there is only tense silence. And then the spell is broken, and the girls descend into a fit of giggles over the ridiculousness of their situation. So who is this sinister John fellow, and what is he doing at the Beck house? Why does he proclaim to be the family's keeper? And why does he perform his self-appointed duties from the bowels of the building in the cold, dark basement, whilst the rest of the spirits are milling around upstairs? When you book your stay at Beck House, you'll have to remember to pack your spirit box so you can get to the bottom of it. Planning an escape to the Great White North? in search of affordable accommodation and historic and extremely haunted property? Well, the Beck House just might be the vacation destination for you. Apartment number 302, the quaint self-catering flat on the third floor, consists of a fully-equipped kitchen, dining area, living room, private bathroom, and two double bedrooms, capable of accommodating up to 22 guests. That is, four living and 18 dead. Sound a bit cramped? Don't worry, the ghosts don't mind crashing on the couch.